Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, church, it's good to be with you this morning. I just learned two things. Number one, if you want to be cool, you need to sit in the strobe section over here. Because when we turn out the lights, there's strobe lights that happen in this section. So this is the cool crowd over here uh, this morning. Um, I also learned this. I've been battling allergies uh, this week really badly. And um, my voice is deeper than it, than it normally is. And most of the time in my life, in my 14 years of ministry here, there's one person that I wish my voice was like, and it's Dr. Kemp's voice. But the only time that I'm ever close to Dr. Kemp's voice is when I have allergies, and I'm not still not even there. Um, but nevertheless, if you'll bear with me, please, this morning. So far, we've, we've spent three weeks in this Family Matters series. We've talked about the purpose and design of marriage, the roles in marriage of husband and wife, and we've also talked about moms and grandmothers. And we've had a wonderful time in our series, and today we're going to be focusing on another aspect of the family matters. Before we do that, though, I want us to practice our memory verse from Proverbs 24, 3 through 4. Similar to last week, we have some words that are um, taken off the screen, and so you're going to have to remember those. And so if we can put that up on the screen, there's a few more blanks than last week, but I think y'all can do it. I know you're better than the second service, okay? Um, So let's say it out loud together, Proverbs 24, 3 through 4. By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. See, I myself am even struggling to get this thing memorized, but we're going to get there. Good job. So today, this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about singleness. Now, I know some of you, you're sitting there going, oh, great, I'm going to have to sit through a message on singles, and I'm married. Well, similar to other weeks where singles have had to listen to sermons on marriage, I want to encourage us married folk in the room to sit tight, to listen closely, because we are one body in Christ. And in order to love one another well, there are things that we need to understand about each other, whatever place God might have us in. Just as the marriage sermon had implications for singles, this message about singleness has implications for us married folk. We're going to begin by looking at Isaiah chapter 56. If you'll grab your copy of Scripture and turn to Isaiah chapter 56. We're going to be looking at five different truths about singleness on which we as a church can begin to understand, and I hope that it'll help us strengthen and build unity as a church. So Isaiah chapter 56. The first thing that I want you to understand about singleness is this. Scripture affirms singleness. Scripture affirms singleness. Now that may not sound like a very big assertion, but when you compare it with the teachings of other monotheistic religions, That assertion becomes even more striking. For example, Judaism, it doesn't look favorably upon celibacy. 
especially for men, because God commanded us to be fruitful and to multiply. Islam goes further and condemns single life. Their prophet Muhammad is recorded by saying this, the most low in status among your dead are the singles. Mormonism, it states this, spiritual maturity and exaltation in the highest degree of the celestial kingdom requires marriage. Now the message of Christianity is far different, or it should be. And I want to show you one of the key reasons why, and then I want to look at the text and, and, and explain what I'm meaning. So here's why this is important for us. The greatest blessing in life doesn't come through marriage and physical offspring. The greatest blessing in life comes from union in Christ. It comes from union in Christ. Look at, with, look at Isaiah 56 with me, and if you'll stand as we read God's word together in verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. You may be seated. Keep your place there in Isaiah 56. Now, in order to grasp this passage and the promise that it holds, we have to understand the context. Throughout Israel's history, marriage and physical offspring were crucial to, were crucial aspects to the covenant. Marriage and offspring are emphasized in Genesis 2. Having physical offspring becomes even more evident in God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you read the story and you come in the storyline of the Bible and you come to any parts of it where a woman is barren, you feel this, you feel this tension there. The emphasis on marriage and having physical offspring gets reinforced in the Mosaic Covenant to the degree that marrying and having children was the way to maintain inheritance in the land and to perpetuate your name. So it was worse than death itself to lose your name. It was, it was a curse to have your name blotted out and discontinued. So in our passage in Isaiah 56, you can see the effects for a eunuch. They couldn't have offspring. He lived with a curse. Deuteronomy 23, 1 through 8 also indicates that there's laws that exclude eunuchs from God's assembly. So not only can they not perpetuate their name, but they're accustomed to being outcasts. No inheritance, no name, no community. And it's within that context that God speaks blessings to the eunuch in our passage in Isaiah 56. The one who is not married. The one who does not have children. He says, to the eunuchs who, who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. 
So, so these eunuchs, they get God as their inheritance. They get a community within his walls. They get a name that's better than sons and daughters, and they will not be cut off. Moreover, you can see on, in, at the end of verse 3, he, the Lord says, Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. In other words, even the eunuch would bear fruit. He would have offspring. Now, if you're like me, that causes you to ask questions. How in the world can a eunuch have offspring? How is it possible for those who were once cut off from the Lord's assembly to now be welcomed? How is it that those who once have no name would now be given an eternal name? How is it that those who once could have no children would now have children? Well, God makes this possible through his son, Jesus. Flip back to Isaiah 53. I want to show you three things real quick as we, as we continue to build upon this with eunuch, the eunuchs. Isaiah 53 tells us of a suffering servant, and we know that to be Jesus Christ. And I want you to see three things in this passage. And I'm going to tie it all together, so just stick with me. Isaiah 53, the first thing I want you to see is that he died for our sins. Isaiah 53, 5. But he, Jesus Christ, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And without his, and with his wounds, we are healed. So he dies as a sacrifice in our place, bearing the punishment we deserved. Secondly, he was cut off. Look at verse 8 of chapter 53. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for, this gener- and for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. So Jesus, he was, he was cut off so that we might people might enter into fellowship with God. And here's the third thing that I want you to notice. Again, we're going to tie this all together, I promise. The third thing is in verse 10. The result of all of this, the result of him dying for our sins, the result of him being cut off, is that he would produce many offspring. Look at verse 10. Yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Now, that's strange. How in the world will Jesus see his offspring? We know in the New Testament that Jesus was not married. Jesus did not have children. So so how can it be that he will see his offspring if he's not married and does not have children? The point is that his death and resurrection creates spiritual offspring. The spiritual offspring for for generations to come, the redeemed of all ages, forever his love, forever his bride, his sons and his daughters, loving, worshiping, honoring, serving him in his presence in the glories of heaven for eternity. Jesus Christ, he is the offspring of the woman. Jesus Christ is the true offspring of Abraham, the true offspring of Israel. 
And since this offspring has come, God's people would no longer expand through procreation and marriage. The expansion of God's kingdom would be as a a result of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As people through generations to come would hear of gospel of Jesus Christ, of this suffering servant who was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, he was cut off. This is how God's kingdom would expand. So now you go back to chapter 56, the eunuchs. The eunuchs in Isaiah 56 are one example of Christ's spiritual offspring. Meaning this, the eunuchs in Isaiah 56 are one example of his offspring because regardless of whether you're married or single, in Christ you get God's name. In Christ you get God's inheritance. In Christ you get God's community. In other words, the Christian's significance and identity is not bound up with being married, having children, or being single. The Christian's significance and identity is bound up with being in Christ. Now, that doesn't diminish the blessing of marriage and children. We know it's a gift from God. But I hope that it gives a proper context and helps us as a church to keep us from elevating marriage to a place that it was never intended to be. True significance, true identity is found in Christ alone. Getting married, having children, although a great gift from God, they add nothing to all that we already have in Christ. Another thing that I want you to notice when we talk about the Scripture affirming singleness is that all of this comes to fruition in the New Testament. Acts chapter 8, you don't have to turn there, but you know the story. Who is it that Philip witnesses to? He witnesses to an Ethiopian eunuch. And what does he preach to this Ethiopian eunuch? Isaiah chapter 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. He was cut off. And he does it so that he may see his offspring. So this Ethiopian eunuch hears Isaiah 53, he's born again, and he's baptized into new life. Can you imagine what the eunuch thought once he made it to Isaiah 56? And he read of God's promises for him. What are marriage and children when you have God? Fellowship with God, a name that is better than sons and daughters this is life transforming. This is, this is blessings gained in Christ no matter if you're married or single. You are one in Christ. And that's where your significance and identity comes from. In his book, Redeeming Singleness, 
Barry Danilak writes these words. Christian singleness lived in its fullest expression is a powerful testimony to the gospel. It is a testimony to the supreme sufficiency of Christ in all things, testifying that through Christ, life is fully blessed even without marriage and children. Church family, we need to be reminded, especially those of us who are married, that our singles serve in a way that remind us that we don't need marriage and children to be fully blessed in Jesus. In addition, the New Testament also affirms singleness. Jesus and Paul affirm singleness. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 12, there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So they've chosen not to marry, to devote themselves more fully to the interest of the kingdom. And not everyone can do this because Jesus goes on to say, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. So that's not belittling singleness. Rather, Jesus praises singleness when people use it for the sake of the kingdom. So Jesus is affirming that choosing not to marry for the sake of kingdom work is good. So marriage is good. Singleness is good. God can use both. And our identity and purpose is found in Christ. So if you're single here this morning, I want you to hear that just because you're not married, although you may desire to be, and that is a good desire, find your identity in Christ alone. For those who are married, let the same be said. Your identity is in Christ, and that's where it belongs. Secondly, singleness is a gift from God. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 with me real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In this chapter, Paul is talking um, and answering specific questions about marriage and singleness. As we look at chapter 7, you can identi- Paul identifies singleness as something positive for the church and its mission. In verse 7 of chapter 7, Paul says this, I wish that all were as I myself am, single, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, single, and one of another, marriage. So, so there we see it. Singleness is a gift from God just as much as marriage is. He's saying to consider the single state you're currently in as something good from God, and he has purposes for it. And if you steward it well for the edification of the church and the spread of the gospel, he is using your singleness for his kingdom. This is the kind of gift he has in mind, whether you're married or single. Now, I understand if you're single, that may be a difficult truth to embrace because you have a desire to be married. But I want to encourage you, don't waste one of God's good gifts to you right now and one of God's good gifts to us as a church. He has purposes for your singleness. And it's a gift from him. I love what Elizabeth Elliot wrote. You'll see it on the screen. 
She says, if you are single today, the portion assigned to you for today is singleness. It is God's gift. Singleness ought not to be viewed as a problem nor marriage as a right. God in his wisdom and love grants either as a gift. An unmarried person has the gift of singleness, not to be confused with the gift of celibacy. When we speak of the gift of celibacy, we usually refer to one who is bound by vows not to marry. If you are not so bound, what may be your portion tomorrow is not your business today. Today's business is trust in the living God who precisely measures out day by day each one's portion. See, her words reflect well what Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians seven seventeen. Let each one, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Singleness. It's a gift from God. And it can be used for his glory. Third truth. Singleness has benefits for undivided devotion to the Lord and his kingdom. Singleness has benefits for undivided devotion to the Lord and his kingdom. Where I've got this is chapter 7, verse 32 through 35. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, Paul, is, Paul here, he's a realist, isn't he? He's, he's talking about what marriage can be and what it does to us. It requires a lot of attention, time, energy, effort, money. He says to the single person that they, they have those same resources, they have all of that, but they have a freedom and flexibility to minister in a way that married people do not. Singles, they share in the same thing, some of the same responsibilities that us married people do. Personal care and rest, long work days, service to the church, ministry to relatives. But Paul's point is simply to help take advantage of the opportunities that singleness affords that marriage can hinder. And as he puts it, to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul wants to inspire these singles in Corinth. He wants to inspire them with the Lord's mission. Now the culture that we live in often gives the impression that life really begins only after you get married. There's this assumption that once you reach our life stage, then you can really start living. Well, there's a problem with that, and it's called the Bible. That's untrue. That's untrue. Paul is saying that it doesn't matter what state you're in, married or single. Your greatest concern should be undivided devotion to the Lord. 
Paul himself takes advantage of his undivided devotion to the Lord and stewards it well. The Lord uses it to give Paul many, many offspring. Real quickly, I want you to hear as he says these words in 1 Corinthians 4, 15. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus. Galatians 4, 19. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7. But we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. First Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12. Like a father, we exhorted you. Walk in a manner worthy of God. So fatherhood, motherhood can still be learned from a brother or sister without physical children. Paul is single. He has lots of children because of God's grace working through his undivided devotion to the Lord. We have much to be gained from our single brothers and sisters in this church. Fourthly, singleness has challenges. Singleness has challenges. I want to mention a few of these, and I know they're not all, but I hope they can point us forward as a church as we walk together and as we seek to understand and serve one another. The first challenge that singleness can have is loneliness. Brothers and sisters who are single sometimes face the challenge of loneliness. Genesis 2:18, it's not good that man should be alone. God has created us to be relational beings. In singleness, there are natural created desires for relationship that can be unmet. And it's appropriate for us as a church to recognize the challenges They're the challenge of loneliness and to pray for our brothers and sisters who are single. On this side of the fall, no relationship is the ultimate solution for loneliness. The real solution is found in union with Christ. He is the truest companion. He knows you more intimately than any husband or wife ever could. He will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. He is always there. In addition... To your union with Christ, being united to Christ also means that God unites us together. Both singles and married people find companionship in Christ together. And here's what I mean by that. We are a family in the truest sense, and we must treat each other like family. We must reach out and come alongside one another and show hospitality. We need to open up our homes to one another. Married, inviting singles over, and singles, inviting married over. We should work toward building spiritual friendships in Christ with different people than us, not just the people who are like us. Church, we were made and saved for this. And that doesn't mean the challenge of loneliness won't return, but it does mean that Christ has made provision for you in himself and in the church. Another one that I want to point out is being treated like second best. Singles also face that challenge of being treated like second best. People within the church can often say insensitive things like, why aren't you married? Or, hey, I bet you'd really be happy if you got together with so-and-so and all of a sudden the church becomes matchmaker 
as if true happiness is found only in marriage rather than Christ. Tim Keller, he identifies quite a few of these statements that people in the church can make. I want to list a few of these. And he rebuttals them. He says one one statement that he's heard is, as soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone special in your life. As though God's blessings are ever earned by our contentment. Another one. Well, you're too picky. As though God is frustrated by our fickle whims and need broader and needs broader parameters to work. Another one. Before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful. Ah. As though God grants marriage as a second blessing to the satisfactorily sanctified. You see, beneath these statements is the premise that single life is a state of deprivation for people who are not yet fully formed enough for marriage, writes Timothy Keller. See, church, we must remember that we've, what we've seen from the scriptures today, that singleness is not second to marriage. They're both gifts from God. Singleness has a very positive place in the kingdom. We are one body in Christ, and how dare we treat one member differently? How dare we say to one member that I have no need of you? It may not be that we're intentionally avoiding them, but simply not thinking of them carefully enough. So let's work in changing this. Let's be mindful of one another. First Baptist Belton is healthier and stronger because of our single brothers and sisters' commitment and contributions. The last one that I want to point out is discontentment. Singles can also face the challenge of discontentment. Now, that's not unique to singles, but there are some. Some of you really desire to get married. And as I've said, that's a good desire. It's a gift from the Lord. But I don't want you to become so discontent that marriage becomes an idol for you. Because that idol can can lead to a lot of destructive and unhealthy relationships. And maybe even bitterness toward the Lord. That why haven't you provided someone yet it's not wrong to to want what is good the problem comes when we want something so badly that it replaces our contentment and our identity in christ and it distracts us from doing what pleases him most now church we must come alongside our brothers and sisters when they struggle in this way we need to pray for them we need to remind them of who god is and his unwavering love for them We don't need to heap false guilt on them for desiring to be married. But God is constant. Jesus is constant. He is sufficient. And contentment can only be found in Christ. I know that's not all the challenges that my single brothers and sisters in this room face. But I hope that it starts moving us forward as a church, as a body, as a family, to loving and serving together more faithfully. Finally, truth number five, singleness, like marriage, will be replaced. As we saw a few weeks ago, marriage is not forever. 
we're all going to die or Jesus will return and we won't be given in marriage in the age to come. All earthly marriages will be replaced with an infinitely greater union with Christ for eternity. But that future union of all Christ people with Christ himself means that nobody is single in the age to come. We are all married to Christ. The true bridegroom is returning to to marry all of us with him. Now, none of us know why God chooses to work the way he does, giving marriage to some and some not. But we're all certain of this, how difficult or painful our single or married days may be, they will be replaced with a glorious union to Christ beyond our wildest imagination. He's coming, brothers and sisters. And we all, married or single, will be joined with him for eternity. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I know that a lot of us in this room are married. So God, I pray that you would use this message, your word, to show us that are married, how we can best serve, befriend, love our single brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray for those that are single in this room. Maybe they've been single their whole life. Maybe they're single because of the death of a spouse. Lord, I pray that they would see your word this morning. They would embrace where you have them for today. And that they would use their singleness for your glory and your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters at First Baptist Belton that are single. I thank you for what they can teach us. I thank you for what they can remind us of. I thank you that we get to partner alongside them as brothers and sisters in Christ for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, as we sing, may you have your way in our hearts that our church would be different. It would be salt and light in our community. And we would love to proclaim the excellencies and beauties of Jesus both here and around the world. And it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our song of invitation. I'm here at the front. We have pastors that are available to pray with you. And let's, let's, uh, let's do as the Spirit leads us this morning. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to call the church at 254-939-0705 if you need prayer or if you need to talk with someone. We're here to listen, help, and encourage.